I would also say to clearly put the, this seems really basic, but clearly put the word pitch in the subject line. Like we're getting, you know, 50, 100, 200 emails a day. Half of them come from publicists. So it's, so you're scanning very, very quickly. Often you don't even click in, you just delete it based on the subject line. Make it clear there's like something exciting inside. Pitch colon, very quick description of what that thing is. Welcome to the Travel Media Lab podcast. I'm your host, Yulia Denisuk, an award-winning travel photographer and writer, entrepreneur, community builder, and a firm believer that every one of us can go after the stories we've always wanted to tell with the right support, encouragement, and structure. I'm on a mission to help women's storytellers everywhere break into and thrive in the travel media space. If you're ready to ditch your fears to the side, grow your knowledge and confidence, and publish your travel stories, you're in the right place. Let's go. On the podcast today, I want to share with you a part of a very special conversation we had in our membership, The Circle. Inside our membership, we run weekly check-ins, monthly brainstorm meetings and workshops, and more all with the goal of helping our members publish their travel stories. And occasionally, we invite wonderful people from inside the travel media industry to share their knowledge with us. So this is what I'd like to share with you today. We held a workshop with Ashley Halpern, a veteran travel editor who's worked at publications like Afar, Condenas Traveler, Bon Appetit, and more. In this hour-long workshop, Ashley covered her tips for working with editors, what to include in your pitch, and which ideas would get the editors excited. Our members also had a chance to ask Ashley just about any question on working with travel editors. I really love the space and the community we have created inside the circle, and I hope that in today's episode, you'll get to feel a bit of that support and community too. And if you're interested in joining us inside the circle, I want you to know that we have three different levels at which you can join us and start working toward getting your own travel stories published. And by the way, all of our workshops get recorded, so when you join, you get access to the full conversation with Ashley. Get more information about the circle and join us at travelmedialab.com slash circle. All right, let's get into this episode. All right, so welcome everyone to our workshop. I'm really excited that uh, we were able to do this with Ashley today. And we're going to give uh, people some more minutes to join us. But while we are, let me introduce the wonderful Ashley Halpern, who is just such a joy to work with and a wonderful person who I've met. I I had a pleasure of meeting in person during um, the conference at IMM, International uh, Media Marketplace. A couple of years ago now, right? I think, was it 2019? It was right right before the COVID shutdown, the first COVID shutdown. The original shutdown. Yes, and we were, I was very uh, lucky to to do work with Ashley and then we became good friends. Ashley is an incredible uh, storyteller, editor, writer, traveler, very savvy traveler who seeks out just really wonderful stories around the world. And of course, Ashley was on our podcast as well. So if you guys haven't had a chance to listen yet to our episode, please do, because she shares lots of insights there too. Um, But I thought it would be really nice for her to come in and talk to you guys face-to-face and really just 
give her perspective and lift the veil, although I really don't like that expression so much, but lift lift a bit of that, you know, mystery uh, that we have about working with editors and what is that all about? You know, in the circle, we often talk about um, how much trepidation we have pitching editors and um, we often you know have a lot of different fears associated with that so I thought it would be so great to meet the real person behind the editor's job uh, and see how wonderful she is and how, how much she can share with us today so without further ado I introduce to you guys uh, the wonderful Ashley Halpern and yeah very happy happy to have you here tonight uh, with us Ashley so welcome Thank you. I can't possibly live up to everything she just said. So prepare to be disappointed right from the start. No way, no way. Um, Well, so I think the way I was thinking that we can take this is that uh, perhaps for the first 30 minutes, Ashley can share some thoughts uh, on this topic of working with editors, working with freelancers some best practices, some insights, some things that she has seen over the years. And then I'm sure you guys will have some questions. So then we can have a bit of an open conversation later on, which I thought would be uh, just really wonderful as well. How does that work for you, Ashley? That's perfect. And and I should say too, you know, I've been an editor in-house at a lot of magazines. I've worked as a contributing editor and editor-at-large at various publications, but I also write a lot. Um, so I, I know both sides of the fence. I, I have dealt with the same like fear and trepidation and especially cold pitching people, people you don't know, feeling like you had the best idea in the world and then it's summarily rejected by like every outlet you've ever encountered. It sucks. I get it. So I think I can <laughs> speak to like both sides of the equation and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have to the best of my ability. Yes. And actually, if I, if I may share this, Ashley, just a little tiny snippet of uh, my experience of working with you. I remember how incredibly uh, nice and thoughtful and empathetic you are to every time we communicate about things like rejections, right? For example, when I pitch something and it doesn't get accepted by the magazine, I just get the most thoughtful and nice notes from you about those rejections. And I think that that is because you have both of those perspectives, right? You've, you've been on both sides. So you know how it is. Well, it, and it drives me insane when editors don't reply, having been on both sides, like there's just no, everyone's busy. Writers are busy. They're, editors, everyone in the world is busy. You can take two seconds to write a two-line reply to at least get status check for people, let them know where things are at. And I think the most important thing and why, at least like with writers that have clearly put effort into a pitch, I try to let them know why it doesn't work. Often it has nothing to do with their pitch. It has to do with internal agendas. It has to do with top-down management. There's like 10,000 things it could be. It could just be one of the, about one of those places that well, we we did a Philly story like three years ago. So I think we've met our quota for the next, you know, three decades. Hit us back when you're 45 or, or whatever the, the weirdness is. So often it has nothing to do with you. And I feel like that's really important to let writers know that and encourage them like to keep coming back with ideas. Because at the end of the day, like they're filling most of your pages. Lots of cool ideas are generated in-house, but some of the very best stuff often comes outside that that ivory tower. 
Yes. Oh my God. It's so amazing to hear that again from Charlotte says, add note to calendar for 2061. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's so amazing to hear that coming from you, Ashley, right? Because I talk about this in the circle. You guys have heard me say the same thing again, uh, again and again, but it's just so, so wonderful to hear it, uh, to hear it from you. So that's, that's awesome. And, there, and there's often, I mean, there's so many ideas. Julia's pitched so many of them that I think are incredible. And just for one reason, or another, like, I want to read that. And if I want to read it, even if I'm not going to get to read it in whatever publication I'm assigning for at that time, I want to read it somewhere. So I don't want them to give up on that idea because there's a lot of publications out there. At the same time, I don't want them to sell themselves too short and wind up selling it for a pittance. I'd rather they keep trying someplace that's going to offer some return on their investment in the work. So in that in that vein, actually, I, I wonder if you could sort of give us your thought on how to manage that push and pull, right? Because there's this like, I want to place the story. Uh, I wanted to find a home. I want to find a nice and appropriate home for it. But also, I don't want to keep pitching it for a year and then, you know, the energy dies on it or something. Uh, so how, how do you think about managing that that tension? I think it depends on the type of piece. It certainly depends. Are you picturing something more featurey, um, something that's going to evolve a lot where you're going to have to keep re-interviewing? How time sensitive is it? Obviously, time sensitivity, if it's pegged to an opening or some sort of major you know, news, like say some UNESCO thing is happening and you know there's this time sensitive pitch, you have to hustle a little more. You might have to lower the bar a little bit, but hopefully that type of story can be a quicker turnaround too. But if your heart is hooked into something that you know it's important to tell in a certain way and it's not ultra time sensitive, like hold out. And and you do have to hold out. It's such a slow process. It's even worse with with print editors, like mm. the glacial pace that that things move. If you're open to digital, which let's be honest, a lot more people are probably gonna see depending on the outlet, go digital for sure. It's also a better way, an easier way to get in with a publication you haven't written for is to start with their digital team, be able to show those clips and be able to segue into print. But I'm also, I I used to be that person that just was diehard print. Everything had to be print. And now, frankly, between, I like the quickness of the turnaround. I like the reach of online and I like um, getting paid faster, so much (laughs) faster generally with online than print stories. Definitely. If you could recall some of the best experiences of working with freelancers and some of the perhaps pet peeves that we should watch sure. out for. I'm sure you have. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a whole bulleted list. One of the first things, especially if you're cold contacting a place, is contact one editor at a time. Don't spam half the staff. I know it's tempting when you don't know who to focus your pitch on, but you're still better off one at a time spamming too many or even putting two or three editors on, it can feel spammy. And then you're kind of giving them an out not to reply to you because they're like, oh, I well, I figured so-and-so would respond to them. No, like laser focus on one person if you can. And if they're not the right person, hopefully they'll be decent and suggest, oh, actually so-and-so edits that section, contact them instead. So that's one of the first things. I know it can be painful to wait, but don't, <laughs> I definitely had someone pitch and then they will follow up the next day or two days later, like give it, give it at least seven to 10 days. And I would say if you followed up twice, unless you already have a working rapport with them and you know that they're just like kind of a hot mess and can't like be on top of their email and you have to pester them to get a response, let it go after 
if you don't, especially after a third response, like don't keep like find someone else on that staff or pick another outlet to focus on. I would also say to clearly put this seems really basic, but clearly put the word pitch in the subject line. Like we're getting, you know, 50, 100, 200 emails a day, half of them come from publicists. So it's so you're scanning very, very quickly. Often, you don't even click in, you just delete it based on the subject line, make it clear, there's like something exciting inside pitch colon, very quick description of what that thing is. I also think keep it short, Like most editors have sort of ADHD, just inability to concentrate anymore. It's got to be three short paragraphs or less. And I know that can feel really hard to boil down something, but think of it as the equivalent of an elevator pitch. If you're like riding the elevator with Mark Cuban and you have 30 seconds to tell him what your business is, like that's essentially what you're doing with this. Here's who I am. Here's my idea. Here's why I'm the best person to tell it. Don't send attachments, please, for the love of God, don't send attachments. Like don't attach clips. Don't like, we know how to find that stuff. If you have a a great looking portfolio online, by all means link to it. You can mention a few marquee places that you write for just to kind of establish credibility right out the gate, but don't send attachments. Don't send unsolicited manuscripts unless they've specifically requested it. Like I think the New York times modern love column might do that might ask for a full manuscript, but most places don't want that and they're not going to read it. Mm -hmm. And if it looks remotely spammy, it's going to get deleted or automatically routed to a spam folder. I would say one pitch per email. I get a lot of new writers want to throw all the ideas at the wall. And that, and, and I think they think, oh, they're going to see like how many genius ideas I have. And that may be true, but like put your best ones forward first. Um, one or two, absolutely no more than three and still stick to that three paragraph kind of Nothing longer than that because it won't get read. You should interrupt me at any time you like because I have like nine thousand bullets. <laughs> oh, this um, is this is like gold. I'm just like loving to hear all that from you. <laughs> I think one thing I want to just point out because I actually for me it's a great refresher too. Just the realization of how freaking important subject lines are. Yeah, how, it's real. probably the most important thing to get to ensure. Well, it is the the thing to ensure that the the pitches even gets opened, right? So yeah, uh, and you just have to remember, editors are are just being inundated with press releases, and you know, sad to say, I don't look at the vast majority of them unless the subject line really catches me or it's coming from a PR person that I've already have a relationship with. I know they don't waste my time with stupid stuff. So you want, you want to stand out from that, but I almost will always open something if it says pitch. Cause I'm like, Oh, what do we have here? What is, what is this? I do think it's important to acknowledge other stories that have been written on the topic specifically by the outlet that, mm-hmm. that you're you know, if by the outlet, but also by the outlet's competitors. So make it clear, like you've done your research, you know, what's already been written about this out there. And if there is a lot, then say how you're going to evolve that story, what you're going to add to spark new conversation around it, or make people think about it differently. And, And that's why I definitely, I feel like a bit of an amateur move I get from a lot of newer writers is to pitch very kind of generic SEO friendly content, like best this, best that, All that stuff mostly is being handled in-house or it's going to already be farmed out to a group of sort of trusted stable of freelancers. So the first way to get in any place is just to have an exceptional idea or an exceptional spin on an idea that's 
already out there. I think that's a really interesting insight for you guys to take note because actually in the circle, we talk a lot about uh, getting a foot in the door with some, let's say, simpler pitches and ideas. But you're actually saying, no, bring bring your most interesting and intriguing idea that perhaps no one else can bring. But that's what you mean. You know what, though? That depends on the outlet. If you're, I'm thinking of it more like the vast majority of travel editorial I've been doing the last two years has been with Condé Nast Traveler. So I'm thinking more in that vein right now, places like Afar. If you are pitching places like Thrillist, things that are more generalist, less specific, then yeah, that that approach could work. But at least most of the outlets I have experience with, the SEO, those they definitely do those SEO articles all the time. But they often go to staffers. They're often cobbled together from pre-existing content, which is why staffers handle it. Mm-hmm. Or it's just, A, you know, we know we have to do this holiday stuff around this time. We're going to farm it out to a freelancer for a quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more of advice for cold approaching someone for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least those type of outlets, ones that are a little less like culture trip, thrillist, just straight SEO kind of content farms. No, that makes sense. This is a little more relevant, I think, for print. And I say this also as I used to edit the strategist section at New York Magazine, and I was a special projects editor at Bon Appetit for a while. If you want to pitch print, I think it's really important to think about packaging. How does this look in print? How many pages are you envisioning it? Is it a straight right through? Are there sidebars? Is it a runner plus pull quotes and call outs and a ticker at the bottom with like Um. extra advice? Like, think you want to think like a print editor and it just can help with even though it's technically the editor's job to do that you're making their job easier you're already thinking through how does this thing look in a print magazine what makes it what makes the package cohesive feeling and how many different elements can you incorporate you could do that a little with digital sometimes they'll add a sidebar or something but i don't think it's as important for digital two points on that first i love that you use that phrase make uh, editor's job easier because that's exactly what i talk about all the time, like put yourself in the editor's shoes, have some empathy to that job because it's not an easy job by by any means. And if you have that empathy and that perspective in your pitches, I believe that it will make it easier for you to to get your pitches accepted because you you know you have that perspective. Um, but for for your point about imagining how the print piece would look like, so you recommend that we put it in the initial pitch, like as a maybe couple of lines at the end, like this is how I imagine it, kind of thing. Yeah. I- I think it's even one sentence, two sentences, you know, and obviously I come from like more of a packaging background. A lot of my jobs have been heavily packaging when you get, you know, some 12 page thing in Bon Appetit and it has 12 different ways to do something in each element. One's an infographic and one's a a little essay and one's a, so I think a lot in those terms, it can be, you know, I'm imagining this as a 600 to 800 word story with two sidebars. And here would be the ideas for the sidebars. It's just kind of imagine editors as like the laziest people in the world and anything you can do to make that make their job easier when they have to turn around and then pitch it up the ranks or take it to an EIC, you're making them look good. I mean, it's like, oh, they already thought through the packaging of this thing. Interesting. It's more likely to get greenlit that way. Interesting. And the EIC is the editor-in-chief meeting where all the ideas from all the pitches they've been receiving get discussed usually like once a month or something, right? Although in some places it can be... Yeah, it, it depends on the publication. When I was at New York Magazine, it was weekly and everybody dreaded it. It was like, you know, it was so much pressure and people would like give themselves ulcers yeah. dreading those meetings. And 
it was just a really intense atmosphere. Monthlies, they might be more once or twice a month. And often there's smaller pitch meetings. You might just be meeting with your team to go over ideas. And then everyone sort of agrees on, okay, these are our five strongest. Let's take those to the EIC or let's take those to the deputy. The hierarchies vary from publication to publication. And that should give you guys insight into one of the reasons why we always talk about why we should not absolutely 100% not take our rejections personally, because just, just how Ashley just now talked about this process, right? You you may meet with your team first and discuss all the 30 pitches you got this month. And then you, you take, you know, the, the, the five that are the most best fit to the EIC, maybe one or two of those get, get accepted. So you can see how a lot of that is just so much out of your control and it has no idea, no it has no relation to how good or how bad your idea is. It's more about, does it fit with this publication in this particular time, right? Yeah, and so, so, so much. Like, I, and I've seen a million fantastic ideas never get greenlit. And it can be, it can boil down to the bias of one person in a meeting. It can boil down to, like I said, quotas, particularly with travel content. You know, magazines will do 7,423 Italy stories or Paris stories, but you try to pitch Jordan and it's yes! like once every yes! 10 years. And it's super frustrating because like me personally, I'd rather go to Jordan. I'm more interested in less visited places, but sometimes that can be a really, really hard, particularly for, you know, national mass market magazines. I've and definitely that's, I think, experienced. One of the greatest. Yeah. I mean, you, you pitched amazing stuff and then you, yeah. it's can be incredibly frustrating for your editors too. So Again, try to find the editors that will explain why something didn't get greenlit. Even if it's just one sentence, it can be so helpful for also fine-tuning that pitch for other outlets. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Ashley. And if so, please consider leaving us a review so that more listeners could find our show. I can't stress how important it is for us to get reviews of our podcast. It really helps us to get in front of more people who might enjoy our show. So if you liked something you heard today in our conversation with Ashley or in any other episodes of our show, please consider leaving us your review. This is one of the best ways you can support our podcast. And don't forget, you can hear the rest of the insights from Ashley when you join us inside the circle. Visit travelmedialab.com circle to learn more about how our membership can help you with your goals. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week when we'll hear from another wonderful travel industry insider, travel writer, Joanna Hogan.